Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news, trends, and hottest topics that focus on advances in cybersecurity and cyber industry economics. Our expert yet down-to-earth hosts make cybersecurity straightforward. They ask the tough questions and make this challenging topic something that everyone can understand. Our candid approach lets guests open up on topics we would all like to see addressed. You can find us on the web at newcyberfrontier.com. That's www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join today's host as he introduces the topic for today's new cyber frontier. Hello, this is Abe Thompson with the new cyber frontier. Uh, today we have as our special guest the CEO and founder of Stealth Mode, a uh, cybersecurity firm. Uh, and is it Roselle? Did I say it right? Yes, you did. It is a delight to have you uh, on the program with us, Roselle Saffron, right? So welcome to the show. How's things? Thank you. Yeah, everything is very busy. Yeah. In a unique way these days. Indeed. You know. In, indeed. It, it's, it's easy enough to stay busy, at least, uh, at least for... For, for me and I think in our industry um, definitely even even at this time so um, so so welcome good to have you with us how did you how did you get to this point you've and I, I'm excited for our guests to kind of hear a little bit about your story because you've got some cool stuff in your background so um, but how'd you get here um, talk a little bit about your journey and, and uh, what you're up to these days yeah so I've had quite an interesting and exciting journey in, in cybersecurity. Um, so back in 2004, I was looking for a job and I saw a posting for something that sounded really interesting, um, working as a computer crime investigator. <laughs> and the job entailed computer forensics, internet investigations, nothing that I had any background in whatsoever. <laughs> but it just, it sounded fascinating. So I said, you know what, I'm going to apply and I'm going to try to convince the hiring manager that I'll learn on the job because I, I was confident I could do that. Yep. And and I was able to convince the hiring manager and I learned on the job and I earned a, a certification in computer forensics while I was on the job, had some amazing experiences, had a, a great mentor um, that, that helped with getting me up to speed on some of it. And, and then I was kind of off and running at that point. I mean, once I had a computer forensics background, computer forensics certification. Um, it, I've never had a, trouble getting a job since. Sure. Um, and so back then in 2004, cybersecurity, computer, computer forensics was not a known term. Yeah. And when I would tell people that's what I did, they heard forensics and thought there were dead bodies involved. <laughs> it was just very different from today. Yeah. Where yeah. now you talk about cybersecurity and it's, it, it's a topic everyone knows, or at least understands sure. to, to an extent. But back when I started, I never would have expected that to be the case. Right. It yeah. was kind of a, a backwater IT issue at that point. And I always thought it would kind of stay that way and be pretty obscure. Um, but, but that has obviously changed quite a bit. And, and I was working in computer forensics roles for, for a number of years. And you could take computer forensics down a couple different paths. So I was originally doing civil cases. There are also law enforcement cases. And then the other big area is, of course, cybersecurity. And I eventually went squarely down the, the cybersecurity path when I moved to the Department of Homeland Security. Sure, sure. Um, and there I was at the, the division that was then called U.S. CERT, 
Mm-hmm. That's oh, yeah. I guess, part of CISA. Yeah. Um, and so there I was managing malware and forensic analysis teams um, and also doing some intrapreneur activities mm-hmm. because I was the product owner for what was a threat intelligence platform sure. before the term threat intel platform even yeah. existed. And now there's classes on it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, but this was over 10 years ago. Sure. Uh, so yeah. it was a very new concept. And so in that experience of, of building out a product from, from my idea to something that was being used by the entire organization and also other federal government agencies, um, that was, a great experience in, in learning that whole process and also really got me even more interested in entrepreneurship than I already was. Sure. Um, and then from the, the Department of Homeland Security, I moved to the Executive Office of the President. And this was during the Obama administration. I always make that clear these days. And hmm. there I was managing all of the cybersecurity operations um, for the, the 24 by 7 SOC. And, um, and just basically defending the network that's used by the White House and the rest of the, the agency. Uh, needless to say, that was an amazing job. Uh, very, very intense job. Um, I don't think there was a night where I wasn't at least on email, if not on the phone, at around midnight or one in the morning. Uh-huh. Uh, and it just developed this bad habit of always checking my email at any time of day. You, you always wanted to keep tabs of what was going on. Cyber Resilience Institute helps build strong cyber communities designed to prevent members from attack. Like building a neighborhood watch, it takes coordination and a sharing community to protect our identities and valuables in the virtual world. Typically, we hear that organizations know they need to do something to protect their cyber assets, but don't know where to begin. Let Cyber Resilience Institute help your community create an action plan. Cyber Resilience Institute will build your community or business marketplace so that it is designed to support a collective cyber defense. Contact them for more information at cyberresilienceinstitute.org. Yeah. Um, and, and then between those experiences at, at Department of Homeland Security and the Executive Office of the President, I developed a good understanding of where there were some shortcomings in, in how cybersecurity operations worked and, and where there were technology gaps that weren't being, weren't being filled. And there was one in particular where I saw the security team struggling to, to keep up with alerts because they were yeah. basically starting from scratch with each alert and, and they weren't able to use the, the prior knowledge yeah. from similar cases or the, the threat intelligence that was relevant. <laughs> and so I came up with this idea, which became my, my first cybersecurity startup. Um, that was at Uplevel Security. And yeah. it was essentially an incident response platform that, that pulled together alert data and incident response, uh, that alert data and threat intelligence data onto to one platform. Um, so when an alert came in, there was already lots of context behind it. And so, and that was a a great experience Um, that, that company was eventually sold to, to McAfee. Um, I I left after a few years and went to work for one of the investors who had Mm -hmm. invested in the company. And there I was the entrepreneur in residence. And that was 
that was a very interesting experience because I had a chance to see the other side of the table. Yeah. So up level security as the founder, CEO, uh, very much on, on the operational side and of course, pitching to investors. <laughs> yeah. And so then when I switched to being side. on the investor side, yeah. uh, then, then I had a better perspective of, of what the, the mentality was yeah. and, and what some of the, um, the challenges were in how I approached it sure. when, when I was on the founder side. And um, so I, I spent time there learning, learning um, the investor side and at that point developed an even higher bar uh, for, for what I, I thought would be successful because I, I understood at that point both sides of it. And I took some time to figure out a, a new startup because you know, once you have the entrepreneurial bug, it's really tough to shake it. <laughs> and so I ended up uh, spending lots of time coming up with ideas that I thought were brilliant and then running them by other people and finding I was the only one that thought they were brilliant. And mm. then eventually I came across one that other people agreed had some, some great potential. And so that is what I'm, I'm pursuing now. Excellent. And that company's called Key Caliber, still in stealth mode. And um, but I, I could talk a little bit about what we're what we're doing. Sure. And um, and yeah, so it's it's very exciting to be back in the game on the entrepreneurial side. My timing is impeccable. Yeah. With <laughs> all the craziness going on with COVID nineteen. Sure. Um, but but we're plugging away regardless. Yeah, and we're not we're not going anywhere. That's for sure. And you know that's you know activity still creeping up. And I just, uh, I read somewhere that uh, defense here in Colorado Springs in particular defense, you know, and particularly cyber uh, contracts really haven't slowed too much. You know, there's still, you know, the, the HR hangups and things like that. But yeah, I, just like we thought, you know, is we'll now say pre-COVID, um, it's going to be, it's going to be the, the same way. Um, our industry is going to thrive. Um, and not because we want to create a little, uh, you know, unique niche for ourselves, but we want to help. We want to protect. We want to defend. And um, kind of neat, though, too. You now understand what the investor is thinking about and looking uh, looking for, uh, which is fantastic. Um, you know, to have that balance in your story, um, for sure. So, um, so yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about what you're what you're up to now and. Uh, what you're hoping to make of this new opportunity that you're in. Yeah. Yeah. So with my last startup, I was focused very much on the, the needs of the security team with this one. I'm focusing more on the, the needs of the, the security leader, yeah. uh, the security executive. Good, and good. So if you look at the responsibilities of a, a security executive, it's basically striking the right balance between risk and controls. Yeah. And as straightforward as that sounds, that's incredibly difficult. And part of why it's so difficult is because traditionally the approach has entailed looking at the entire enterprise, the entire organization as one big monolith. And that's really not accurate. I mean, yeah. any oh, yeah. <laughs> enterprise is so complex, completely heterogeneous. Matrixed. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And constantly changing. And to look at it as just this one static block and say, okay, here's my risk around it. Here's this one score that defines the entire enterprise. It's, 
it's not accurate and it's not helpful. Yeah. And so what we're doing is saying, all right, we're going to take a step back for a second here because you can't look at everything the same way and you can't resource everything the same way. So let's look at what the mission critical assets are. Yeah. So we can focus very squarely on that and devote our resources and our attention to that. And in that process, to the extent that people are doing that today, they're usually calling in a consulting company and saying, all right, you know, spend three months and figure this out. <laughs> and the consulting company conducts a bunch of interviews and questionnaires. And at the end of the day, has this big clunky spreadsheet and says, okay, here's what your mission critical assets are. And it's this one snapshot in time that's super subjective. Yeah. And what we're doing is taking a data-driven approach. So we have the data, we have the data science. Let's, let's bring this whole process into the 21st century. And so we take data from the security stack. So network data, application or asset data that's already being generated. And, and then we, we apply machine learning, graph theory, statistics, number of, of different computations on it to figure out what the mission critical assets are. Sure. And then once you have that, then you can figure out the risk profile around that specific asset. And you can figure out how you're protecting it and how you need to protect it. And so you, figuring out the, the ROI for what you already have in place becomes evident. And developing a roadmap becomes clear and there's a purpose behind it. Sure. And so, so that's what we're doing. So how do you... Uh... How do you kind of define the well? I'm sure you'd call it your your cybersecurity return on investment. How do you uh, how do you juxtapose variables there? Well, so so we do look at the risk from a dollars perspective. Sure. So we we do some calculations um, to to look at the the impact and and the, the loss event frequency. Yeah. And, and do come up with, with values. So we can basically do a diff between if you had nothing in place and comparing that to what you have now, you can see from, from a dollars and cents perspective what the, what the, the change in risk is. Sure. Um, and, and once you have that, and compare that with the, the amount of money you're spending on the technology yeah. to, to get the ROI. Um, but the doing that on on an asset by asset level gives you that granularity to see really how well you are instrumenting yeah. your your environment where it matters most. What levers you could pull and how how effective you can be. And I presume that is very welcome to the uh, uh, the client when you can speak business you know, very, very directly. It doesn't, it doesn't become this scary cybersecurity beast over here. It's, Hey, we speak business. Um, and I would assume too, that that really resonates with, I think what's happening in our industry now with this desire to um, not just be over in our stovepipe, but, but to be fluidly representative across every aspect of that business, logistics, uh, you know, production, et cetera. 
Yeah, because that's really, that's where we need to be. Historically, we've been seen as the department of no. (laughs) And that's certainly the the case. And and we can't operate like that. That's that's not going to be effective for anybody. And so we have to be coming at it from the angle of, okay, how can we best be a business enabler? Sure. Not a hindrance to business operations, but an enabler. Yeah, And so with with what we're building we're looking at it from the perspective of okay as a security leader you need to be able to to make that case somehow to have some defensibility around what you're presenting and to to articulate how you are providing value and how that that value actually maps to business operations sure let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor sure And we're back to new cyber frontier. Our guest is Roselle Saffron, quite a quite an entrepreneur, uh, great background, great experience, uh, and uh, plenty of really relevant uh, discussion uh, this this fine day. So um, we were just kind of talking about uh, speaking in terms that, that that clients can understand and infusing ourselves across an organization. Um, what's on the horizon? What's next? You've you've been in it. You've been in the trenches. Uh, what do you see coming? that maybe everybody else doesn't. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> that's a loaded question. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so I do, I, I see lots more of the same, um, okay. but I, I certainly see, and this has been my concern for years, um, is more of a movement towards disruption and destruction. So back 10 years ago, when when we were working on this, the main concern for the most part was uh, theft of intellectual property or just some sort of breach where data was taken. And that's basically where the the impacts stop. Um, Nowadays, certainly with ransomware or DDoS attacks, you see that there is a move towards disruption yeah. and ransomware destruction. Yeah. Um, and so that's, it's really a concern um, because I remember when, when I had my, my first cybersecurity startup and I was, I was pitching to investors on and the need for cybersecurity because this was before cybersecurity was a mainstream topic. And I would talk about the repercussions and, and discuss the financial impact of, of financial data being stolen, the, the impact of intellectual property being stolen. And then at the, the bottom, I would say, and there's disruption and destruction too. I'd throw yeah. that in there because it, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. but um, it, it really wasn't that much of a threat at that point. Yeah, it still was, but not on the same level that it is now. 
Um, whereas now there, there are legitimate concerns around this disruption aspect and certainly the destruction aspect. Um, and when you look at ICS um, or, or any type of critical infrastructure and how vulnerable it is cybersecurity standpoint, that's pretty nerve wracking. Yeah. Um, so, so I think, yeah, you know, with any arms race, and this is basically an yeah, arms absolutely. race. Absolutely. There's there's this constant escalation, and so I see while we are improving our game, the attackers are going to improve their game, and and take it in directions that are going to be even more detrimental. Yeah. Um, so, so that's 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 you know the kind of issue that that keeps keeps us cybersecurity folks up at night. Um, well, and, and fortunately, though, it sounds like um, we're getting to a point where we can have others join us stay, staying up at night because more and more the customer base is beginning to understand the relevance and the criticality. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's definitely improving, and that's something. That's that's occurred sort of in tandem with the the topic becoming more mainstream. Sure. So now you have boards that are are asking for this information, and and demanding like, someone with cybersecurity experience to be reporting to them, and and that is a very key component to cybersecurity getting to a point where it gets the level of attention it deserves. Yeah. yeah. It's now cyber risk is considered one of the the top risks yeah. for oh, yeah. business today, and that certainly wasn't the case ten years ago. Um, and and you have boards that are, are demanding they want to know what are the mission critical assets and what are the vulnerabilities to them and what is it going to take to protect them. Well, we want those boards to take ownership like that. It's about time, you know. We because as as you know, things don't move unless there's a there's a power voice uh, that's joining our chorus. And so, so that's good. And, you know, in the greater reality for, for that leadership component is that they're the ones on the hook anyway, <laughs> you know, you know, you can only blame the CISO for so long. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, board CEOs, they, they can't turn a, a blind eye to, to cybersecurity. These yeah. Days. Yeah. And, and that that's certainly helpful for for our industry because sure. unless we have that that tone from the top saying, "Look, you need to be spending resources on this. This needs to be an area of focus." If that unless that happens, it's it's not going to permeate down to the rest of the company. Sure. sure. Um, so so yeah. So there's definitely good movement in that direction. Um, is it? keeping up with the the level of threat and that that's a different discussion yeah. um but but at least it, it's moving in the right direction there's the right trajectory of acceptance and acknowledgement that that yes we we do need to devote considerable resources to it and if we're not going to keep up with the threat maybe it's a it's a new agile mindset in general um just staying flexible you know, staying, staying, you know, as informed as possible, but also staying agile and flexible. And I guess that that too is going to, you know, require some some leadership intervention. So, um, with your with your current startup, um, 
how are you engaging the market? What do you, what do you, how do you get the business going? Yeah, well, so that's yeah, sort of the, the secret sauce for, for most founders. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, it's just you and I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, so um, I, I have been in this industry for, for quite a while. Mm -hmm. And so when I was evaluating ideas, what I was doing first and foremost was talking to, to potential customers. And, and getting their, their opinion on it. Okay. And so with many of the other ideas I had come up with, I would ask for opinions and the opinions were basically along the lines of, no, that's not gonna get anywhere. But with this current one, it was completely different. Cool. And I, I just heard time and time again that that was a great idea. That was something that was not being done in, in any shape or form um, by any other technology that was out there. So, so the initial people who I spoke to are are now the people that are saying, "All right, you you have a product ready now. I, yeah. I want to start using that one." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so it it just it's sort of this grassroots effort essentially, where where you start with um, some early adopters, yeah. and and they see the value, and and once they see the value, then then it's easy to explain that to the next person. And then also they become advocates. Sure. Oh yeah. <laughs> product, and you know everyone talks sure. to their peer. Of the course. <laughs> um, so so that that's a, a, another way, um, and and so yeah, it's it's helpful that that we are in a space where we're providing something that's just revolutionary compared to what's out there now. Sure. And sure. Well, and that's exciting. Approach versus. The, three months of, of manual efforts, um, it, it makes a big difference. And, and everyone can understand that that automation, that, that continuous uh, analysis that provides the answers they need, that, that's really meaningful to their operations. Sure. Well, and um, several years ago, I went on an executive tour at Google and uh, what was really kind of fun and sort of the most memorable part of the tour for me, other than the free uh, juice and and Birkenstocks and bicycles that are all over the place. But the, the interesting thing was when we heard from the chief of innovation and he said, it's so funny, here's this major conglomerate, this major organization. And he said he, he uh, coined a term called pretotyping. So instead of uh, uh, prototyping, pretotyping. And, and basically what, he, what they would do is when they'd invent a new app or, or tool or, or capability, he would drop map out a quick you know, picture of what the app might look like on that on a, on a sticky. And then he'd give it to a, to a prospective user. And he'd say, every time that you might feel like you'd need to use this function, I want you just to, to, to make a tick mark on a piece of paper. And this idea of prototyping saved all this money because they would find out what idea had magnetism, what idea was going to explode. And they hadn't even really built the app yet. Uh, and it was merely just the sense of, you know, quantifying the need. And it sounds like, you know, similar to what you've done, you've gone out there and you've heard enough opinion on this, um, that it's, it's going to be explosive. Um, and, and so this is, this is really working for you. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like that, that technique, though. Yeah, isn't that cool? I, that's uh, something I'll take away from uh, from my my executive tour of Google um, was, was that concept of prototyping, um, and so revolutionary, right? Already, you're in the industry that is probably, as as many have said, the most revolutionary since the Industrial Revolution. Um, would you agree that that that's where we are? I think. It- IT certainly is that that next phase of, of an industrial revolution, um, and, and to that to that end, I think one issue that's really lacking um, from a federal government perspective is having a department or agency that is squarely devoted to information technology, mm. and within that. Cybersecurity should be one of the the primary components, um, and and so I I think that's that's something that um, even some states have have a department of IT, and certainly many other countries do. Colorado does for sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, many do, but but on a federal level, we don't have that. And if you think about that for a second, it doesn't make a ton of sense. So, so you have. We have a department of agriculture. We, we used to be an agrarian society mm-hmm. that that absolutely made sense. And frankly, we still need it now. We absolutely still need it now. But we also need to to evolve the, the cabinet to include the the departments that are absolutely prevalent and necessary for society today. And sure. I don't think anything falls more squarely into that category than information yeah. technology. Because I mean, obviously you've got obviously you've got silos. You know, you've got defense with cyber command, and then you've got like I had on um, the assistant secretary of energy for cybersecurity uh, as one of our guests some some months ago. Um, so you, again, you've got silos all over the place. But yeah, it's an interesting concept. You know, you, you know, you're um, now even with your title uh, at, at the White House cyber chief, how close to the table did you get? Yeah, there there are lots of layers. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I was certainly not advising the president. Right, right. <laughs> well, because even you know, White House comes off you know Waka and things like that, but they're all kind of outside that that inner ring. That uh, that that is interesting. Bringing that you know that information leader to the table, and honestly, if you're going to bring IT, you better bring cybersecurity because they're two distinct disciplines, right? So really, you're talking almost about two chairs, two chairs at that table eventually, you know. Yeah, yeah, Second, yeah. Secretary they, they hand in hand. Yeah, and and you kind of can't have one without the other. Now, uh, now, the only thing I would I would kind of think out loud about though is one of the things we've been trying to do is integrate ourselves across across all of inter- industry, right? And so, would there be any danger of that singular IT person just becoming another um, stovepipe? No, I, I don't think so. I, I think you create some uniformity sure. and some consistency mm-hmm. that then has to, and, and you create that uh, vertically, but yeah. then that has to spread horizontally. Sure. And then there's then there's a belly button for, you know, the free executive leadership and, and whatnot to say, okay, boom, you got this, go. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. even, even, you know, the departments, the departments have it. You know, they've got their belly button internally, but there's no chief, uh, you know, uh, tech or, or cybersecurity person. That's interesting.
cool. And See, you're still, you're entrepreneurial ideas now. You should have copywritten that, but now yeah, that I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, uh, Roselle, this has been amazing. And uh, I'm sure uh, that the, we'll want to have you back uh, again to continue this conversation. But I just want to sincerely thank you for this time and for uh, uh, honoring us uh, here, here on New Cyber Frontier. Oh, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. You to come back anytime. Wonderful. This is Abe Thompson on the New Cyber Frontier. Good day. Thank you for listening to New Cyber Frontier. Remember to follow or like our post and circulate each new show to your networks. We keep you informed, bring you the latest news, explore new trends, and find the hottest topics. With New Cyber Frontier, you don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert. Just get plugged in. We encourage you to get involved. Tell us what topics interest you and join our mailing lists. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. That's newcyberfrontier.com. Check out our previous interviews and please let us know if there are any topics that you would like to hear discussed. See you next time on New Cyber Frontier.